And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic, here with my co-host, Anthony Slater, Fred Katz, and friend, colleague, friend of the show on a pretty consistent basis recently, man, John Krasinski. John, we, we don't normally lean on you like this, brother, but the team that you cover just keeps winning games. We got to talk some Minnesota Timberwolves today. Let's do it. Looking forward to it. We got like it. We hey. got to talk Minnesota Timberwolves into June, maybe. That's what you really oh, want to say. June, man, June, see, here's, June might be strong. May at least. I'm thinking. I've never. I never. I don't know what the NBA looks like in May at NBA <laughs> Arena. So like, we'll 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 see about that. Yeah, John's so. wife is probably not happy about this. Like, isn't that <laughs> vacation time? Like, oh that, that's man, when we get away. That all right. Be. Also on today's show, just for the folks that are not uh, necessarily all in on the Wolves just yet, we're gonna have uh, Mike Vorkanoff from our staff on to talk about the controversy surrounding the 65 game rule. He had a good column the other day talking to, to all sides about some of the early blowback and the conversation around player participation policy. Uh, we might, uh, I don't know if I should tease this. It's uh, to be determined. We might have a little bucks chatter at the end with Eric name. He's got a scheduling conflict. We'll see how that goes. And then Mr. Slater and of course, Mr. Select, we might jam in a, an OKC segment, another T Wolves type team that is that is kind of shocking the world right now and fighting for top billing in the West. But JK, um, let's start here. I see you at All Star Weekend, my friend, and had a good time running around. And and you're the Minnesota boy, so you're used to the cold. My my soft West Coast ass was not happy out there walking around in 15 degree, 10 degree temperatures. Uh, we go cover the All Star game. As you remember, I was kind of on the fence about, hey, am I writing a column tonight about this debacle? Wasn't really feeling it. Um, afterwards, you know, when when they scored 700 points, you know, started realizing that people were pissed off about the way players handled the game. And so it was leaning towards, okay, maybe I'll write, maybe I'll write. And then you happen to say, you know, by the way, you know, this Anthony Edwards statement is going to make the rounds. It's already on social media that he had made it really clear. He has no, you know, had no interest in competing in the game. The optics weren't great for Ant, and the assertion, of course, was like, ah, what this young fellow who seemingly is so competitive and so old school and everything that we love about the game, why why did he flip it the other way? Um, man, you try to juxtapose that with the way this guy has played coming out of the break, the way he was playing coming into the break, a whole different dude, uh, and the T-Wolves are rolling. Um, you know, Take me, I want to talk about the season, but in the context of All-Star Weekend, what has it been like for you last 10 days or so just kind of covering the Ant experience? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's been interesting because I, in in many ways, I think Ant became sort of the face of All-Star malaise, right? I mean, he comes out in the skills competition and shoots left-handed threes, and then he doesn't really play a ton in the All-Star game because he, he said afterward, I'd really wasn't in a hurry to get out there and um and we're just not competing this is a break for us like that's that's just the way that it's going to be and i think that there is a perception among 
some or a I would say a yearning among some NBA fans who want to see who the next face of the league is going to be. They want it to be a Kobe like drive, an MJ like, you know, kind of maniacal competitiveness that no matter what you're doing, that you uh, that you just go a thousand percent at it. And so when Anthony Edwards kind of was really very honest and and straightforward of like, hey, we're just not here to compete like that in All-Star Weekend. That's not what this is about. I think it disappointed some people. But what I've kind of told people is that, you know, yes, the All-Star Weekend wasn't a great look for him that way in terms of competitiveness, but you put him in a game that really matters with stakes and regular season and playoff implications, there's no one more competitive. He's averaged 31 points a game in February. Um, the Wolves have kind of been a little bit uh, sluggish coming out of the break offensively, but he has really carried them that way. Uh, we were just uh, at the game last night against Memphis, and Jaron Jackson Jr. was just kicking their butts all over the place. And Anthony Edwards said, okay, I'll guard at Jaron Jackson Jr. and just shut him down for the last you know, 17 minutes of the game. And so that's the kind of drive that he has it shows up we see it in the play we've seen it in the playoff series that he's been in we've seen it in the regular season where he does not miss games even when he's hurt he does not miss games and so um that's i think the side of com- competition that fans do want to see and if they're paying attention to and watching these games now they're seeing the side of the ant that they probably wanted to see in the all-star game what what happened two nights ago he like got carried off and looked like yeah. he might have a serious injury, and then later in the game he has like the dunk to seal it. I, like I only saw those two things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what happened? That night? Yeah. So San Antonio, um, right before halftime, really rolled his ankle. You could watch the video, and it rolled legitimately, and he couldn't put any weight on it. He uh, was had to be carried to the locker room. He couldn't put, you know, he just hobbled off. And then second half starts, he just jogs out of the tunnel onto the court. And I think he scored 14 of his 34 in the third quarter and just took the game over. And he has a kind of pattern that has developed over the course of his four years in the league now where he takes hard falls, he takes bad hits, and it looks like he's going to be out for three weeks. And he goes back to the locker room and he comes back onto the court and he doesn't miss any time. That's just 22-year-old bones and and muscles and ligaments and, and, uh, but it absolutely like the target center was so, so quiet when he was down because he was in real pain and somehow, some way he kind of shook it off, came back out, played great in the second half and and got them a win that they needed. John, how do you see that squad in the context? You all right, Slater? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say something and then I could physically say something. Say it now. Say it now. You got it. You, you just I overcame was say a it was massive attack. Of- <laughs> I, w- I was going to say it's almost well, I was maybe going to say something by Anthony Davis and the whole, you know, leaving the court coming back thing. But I'm going to not do that. But and Ant plays. Ant, Ant, when Anthony Davis leaves, he leaves. So, well, you know, he, the, I don't like the last three times Anthony <laughs> Davis gonna say Chase it. Center, he, ha- he has come back, even though it's like, anyway, sorry, I, I don't. Um, I mean, if I was going to really say it's almost more- bring up some stuff. You could just. Talk about Paul Pierce. That's well, I was just going to say, like, hey, how many strays are we going to fire off here? Not Nas Reed yeah. said it in the after in the locker room after the game. He said, "I just say that he Paul Pierce's it." Like that's literally <laughs> what he says, and and so they tease him about it. Uh, but 
I was going to say it's almost more impressive he played the next day, right? After a bad roll, sometimes yeah. the adrenaline will get you through the game, and then it's like, hey, right. he's still going to miss a week or something, but he played on a back-to-back and played well. So, so. Yeah, and, and he has the, the one the la- last year at the All-Star game, um, he drew headlines because he was one of those guys saying, hey, look, it's our job. We play. like the, it, That's what they pay us for. That's what the fans want. We have to get out there and play. I don't believe in load management, and we were kind of talking with him off the cuff last night after the game and just just before we were leaving the locker room and he kind of reiterated that stance of he does not believe that um you know there should be load management he thinks that he he is a proponent of the 65 game rule like he wants that in place because he thinks guys who get these awards should get them because they played in let, these games let me ask you so i think i think because he has said some of that because of how he plays I think a lot of people, and Draymond Green mentioned this on his podcast recently, hope and believe like he's maybe like one of the future faces, particularly of American basketball, right? There's yeah. this search for the post Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like next uh, beacon. So I think there was disappointment in all star leaves weekend. LeBron out of the conversation, but yeah, go ahead. Hey, he's old. Yeah, he's gone. <laughs> yeah. That's who I meant to loop LeBron in there. Pick a shot. <laughs> yeah. <at everybody>. yeah. <laughs> um, but I think there was like, like you make the game competitive, you know, you right. be the face, you be the one that changes it because like you have this, you have an ability to, to rise here as a face. And I guess part of the thought process was like, does he not realize that? Does he not realize like what he can be in the league yet? And I don't know. I, I would ask you. Yeah. I mean, I do th- like, I, I have had conversations with him about the opportunity that is in front of him because you're right Slater that, you know, as an American player, one of the very best young American players, him and Tatum and, you know, maybe a couple of others. I mean, John Moran, if he wasn't. Ja, yeah, you know, Halliburton, situation. you know, yeah. those guys. Like, there, there is the opportunity there for him to rise up and kind of be not just a face of the Timberwolves, but a face of the league. And he is very marketable. His Adidas shoe is selling out. You know, it, it just seems like he has the cool factor as well that could make him. Uh, a major star, and I do think he wants that. My I do. wife thought he was excellent in the movie Hustle. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like he, he was, was a great really villain. Good. Yeah. yeah, yep, yep. He's so and not, he's got I mean, all that. By yeah. the way, any young player who can get routinely compared to Michael Jordan without the internet destroying you or laughing yes. you out of the room has got to find a way to ride that wave. Yep. Um, it, it is remarkable how similar their games look. Um, I think I'm over the all-star game thing, John, like whatever, they're going to have to figure that out for next year. You know, in terms of that being any sort of Anthony Edwards character flaw, no, it was just a moment, you know, uh, the dude is incredible. I do want to spin the the conversation in this direction and get your opinion on two things. Um, I kind of can't believe I'm saying this, but the T wolves here in, in, uh, in early March, almost at this point are at the top of the West. So now, naturally, you got to talk about how legitimate are they in terms of actual title contention. Their profile is really unique. They do not profile like a title contender. You can't have a 17th ranked offense um, and be in that conversation, yet they just keep winning games. Uh, How do you see that aspect of of what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the reason that they are where they are is because their defense is not just number one, it's number one by a mile. I think the gap, I think John Schumann said this on NBA.com, but the gap between them and the number two ranked defense is the largest that it's been in the in 28 years or something like that. It's I mean, that's that's how dominant they've been defensively, and that's what keeps them in games. They were hoping 
as they went into the break, the 10 games before the break, they had like the third ranked offense in the league. They thought that they were starting to put some things together to iron out the wrinkles offensively, eliminate some of the turnovers, share the ball a little bit more and get a little bit more balanced attack. Since they've come out of the all-star break, it's been a little rusty and a little sluggish. So they're looking to get that back. But if they can even get their offense into the top 10 area, um, yeah, I, I think that they are legitimate title contenders when it comes to at least matchups in the playoffs. Um, I like the way they match up with the Clippers. I like the way they match up with OKC. I like the way they match up with the Lakers, with the Warriors. I would pick Denver in a series because of their experience, but I do like the way they well, match up with Denver. I was going to say, and that's the one, obviously, when you take into account the storyline that that is the most interesting, right? Mm-hmm. With the way that, that Tim Conley came from Denver to Minnesota with Nikola Jokic in mind. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of entertainment value, you know, sign me up for that series uh, all day. I might take Warriors Wolves from entertainment value. Uh, Draymond and Rudy going at it? Absolutely. They match up with Denver well. Like Their size yes. is just so insanely overwhelming. And when you have it, – it, it, people talk all the time about, about Towns and Gobert out there, and obviously that's just huge. But when you have Edwards and you have McDaniels on the wings, that is not easy to match up with. John, John I wanted to ask you because you, you led me right into it, so I'm going to ask you now. What's their nightmare first round matchup? Because with the way the West yeah. is set up right now, it's they could really still finish anywhere from one to four realistically, mm-hmm. because those four teams at the top are all jumbled there, which means they could play anybody who's in the bottom half of the playoff picture. Who's the one who you're like, because if they lose in the first round, yeah, that is a huge problem. But it's yes. also possible because the West is so damn deep. So who's their nightmare matchup where if they get them, they're like, oh, crap of someone in the bottom half of the of the picture right now. Yeah. I mean, you're right, Fred. They could they could I could absolutely see them going to the finals. I could absolutely absolutely see in them losing the first round. That's the variance that they have just depending on matchup. And one of the matchups that I think that they would want to avoid is New Orleans Um, of all the teams that they have played this year. New Orleans has made them look the worst on a consistent basis. Brandon Ingram, for whatever reason, is not bothered by Jaden McDaniel's defense. He just rises up over him. He shoots it. He looks very comfortable doing it. Um, and and they they control the the boards a little bit better. And Zion Williamson, who is obviously really, really good, but uh, inconsistent, he looks like Charles Barkley against the Wolves. Like he just is overpowering. He gets to the rim at will. He scores. He rebounds. He does everything. Valanchunas is a big dude that that kind of helps neutralize some of the Wolves' size advantage. And so that particular matchup in in the games they played this year just really does uh, put them in a bind for whatever reason. And um, so I think they're number one. I also would like to see Dallas, too. I You know, this new Dallas look, I think, could give them some pressure with their scorers, with the way they, they, they can spread things around. So... Um, those are two teams that I would be watching uh, you know, very closely if if they get them early on in the playoffs and what that would look like. New Orleans that, throw Herb Jones on on Ant also for sure. Which well, yeah, they John, have a lot of I, I haven't yeah. studied the boxes, but you know, I just glanced at it. If that's your worst nightmare in a, of a first round matchup, they were two and two against the Pelicans this year. What do you the first two games that they won without Zion Williamson? That was Zion was injured. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. So, uh, okay. so that was kind of a little fool's gold. And the other two games that they played, that New Orleans won, they handled them pretty, 
pretty definitively. So got it. All right, good stuff. Yeah. Now uh, the other kind of bigger picture debate I wanted you to weigh in on is, uh, I mean, Anthony Edwards is he's not going to be the MVP. He's not going to be top five MVP. But you look at this recent surge, and I looked at it January twenty fourth, like you mentioned, since in February how the scoring has had an uptick. You know, it goes back even a little bit further. Like he's averaging almost thirty since January twenty fourth. Um, and if you like, it's an interesting comp. If you analyze his season next to Shea Gilgis Alexander, uh, it's it's very similar players with you know Ant's production just a tick below uh, what Shea is doing, and a pretty significant tick. But like two way players um, who are are you know kind of that Michael Jordan profile of you know thirty six and five territory. Uh, what do you think in general about the way Ant gets discussed as far as how much credit he deserves for what they are doing? Because as we saw, you know, they're one of those teams where people don't know who where to assign the credit, uh, you know, and he doesn't seem able just yet to, he's not piercing into the top of that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that in some ways he gets a little bit penalized because of the roster depth that the Wolves have. I mean, you have Rudy Gobert, who's been f- fantastic, especially defensively for them. You also have Carl Anthony Towns, who's another all-star, um, but has been really, really good. You have Mike Conley. So he has more um, more well-known talent around him. Um, Shea is, you know, they have a lot of really young, talented guys with the Thunder, but Shea is clearly the face that and 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 sort of the center of that universe. But I do think that, you know, if if the Wolves were to finish up the season number one in the West, um, I, I think you could point to Anthony Edwards because the, his playmaking, his decision-making has gotten much, much better. And his defense is, when he locks in, is as good as anyone on the ball. So uh, he brings so much to the table. He is their kind of offense and just the way that when 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 the offense is going well, it's when Anthony Edwards is hitting shots and then distributing it to others. There's so much that is put on his shoulders as a 22-year-old. So, yes, I think he's right in that conversation. Um, I just think that maybe he takes a little bit of a discount just because he has veterans around him who are really well established and Shea doesn't quite have that. Why do you I'm sorry, can I can I jump no, in yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. Can I jump yeah. in here? Please. I'm sorry, Sam. I need to put you on a poster right now. Uh-oh. No. That, I'll be that's the judge a of that, buddy. I'll be the judge that's of that. My hand's going up. Re- You're about to get rejected. That's a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. And I say this as somebody who thinks Anthony Edwards is awesome and sh- has a really good all-NBA case. But, like, he's not I said a, a ser- I, I said a significant tick. He's Have you seen? There's some ticks out there that are massive. Tick. A significant <laughs> tick. Significant no, tick. Ticks by definition are not significant. If there was a significant tick on you, you would never get Lyme disease. Have you ever gone really hiking in Northern California? Fred, you're, you're becoming significant ticks in Northern California. It would be a cock. It's a cockroach size. Whoa, 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 Finish the it, bug description without <laughs> the pause in between. My that was God. a that was a pregnant pause. A pregnant what, on that cockroach. What was the Master trade deadline? Tick. The hot axe. Fred Cats needs to throttle back. All right. I got some hot action on cockroaches right now, and I'll tell you this much: Anthony Edwards is averaging like Somebody five. Get the mic. Forget about the conventional stuff, okay? Shea Shea has a sixty-five percent true shooting percentage. Like oh, Anthony so Edwards is fifty-eight. Right Good number. Good number. But th- 
Shea's, Shea is leading the number five offense in the league. Let yeah, me Fred Fred Norman you. Roots. Fred, Fred, Fred Norman right Roots. around league average. Norman Wait, Oklahoma no, Roots are done. coming out. I'm not done. I'm not Small done. You're done. It's my damn go podcast. The, hey, we got Mike Morkinoff waiting in the wing. Hit the, his mic. Hit the mute. This sounds like the at. OKC fan base right now because Here come the, the thunder. Let the me explain. OKC fans hate Anthony Edwards How do I, and and Shea, really Shea really react strongly. Shea is leading yeah. the league in steals. The advanced numbers are not even close. Shea's like win shares are twice Anthony Edwards is right now. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Anthony Edwards is point. awesome. He's awesome. He's awesome. Okay. But but the win shares. The win shares. Somebody tell me about the win shares. Oh, For God's sake. I mean, let me push the glasses up. Oh, the wind shares. Here they come. <laughs> you know what? You guys demean it all you want, but Shay is Shay has a a real MVP oh, case right now. Matt Templeson's so happy with you right now. Uh, yes, it's amazing. He's a real yeah, MVP. Okay, case. Let me. Ex- I didn't say Ant had a real MVP case, Fred. Let me explain how podcasting works. We yeah, you said he was like a. He's like a. He's have, like a ladybug sh- below. You're Shay. done. You're done. <laughs> we have a podcaster from Minnesota who is around Anthony Edwards. A podcast. I can't even talk. A reporter. And I'm just putting it up on the T for him to talk about his guy and how he should be more in the conversation. It was a significant tick. Damn. Okay. Shay for MVP. That's what we learned today. What well, I don't you know. know Thunder, if Thunder, Thunder Wolves would be the Ant isn't. He's not even an ant on SGA's ass. That's what you're trying to tell the world. This this is yeah. gone haywire. <laughs> I was going to ask a Rudy Gobert question, and I no longer need to ask it. Mike Vorganov is sitting there Mike. watching this, trying to come on, and we are off. Oh, now my phone's ringing. This is great. That's right. Vork. Get me in. We're Get good. this Minnesota kid out of here. I'm a national Indeed. writer. Goddamn right. it, John. We so. appreciate you. I'm sorry that Fred attacked you. Yeah, and we'll have our lawyers get in touch. Oh, to be That's clear, John, I, I I attack Sam. Nice. Yes, please. Yeah, as long as you keep it in, within your house, that's fine. John, I'll if you'd up. like to be the new co-host of the Tampering Pod, <laughs> let me know. You know, we we have an opening. <laughs> wow, I'll, I'll take it under consideration. All right, love immediately y'all. fired. Yes, See thank you, you, John. Talk to you. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. That was amazing. Hi, Vork. <laughs> Hi, guys. I was just looking at my Vorp and War and EPM to make sure I can be in this conversation. <laughs> did, did, did that feel like a personal shot at you? I hope it did it. <laughs> uh nice to have you on sir 
Yes, spicy indeed. Uh, we're going to switch gears here. We're making the rounds. Good, good Timberwolves discussion. Fred always bringing the spice. I like that. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate you. Um, we're is now going to all three of us going to be at a Warriors Knicks tonight. Is this like a full New York uh, podcast now? Vork, oh, are you right. going to Warriors Knicks? Yeah, I'm actually well, not sure yet if I'm going. Okay, oh, okay, sorry. He's load managing. He's yeah, load managing. Play. Yeah, well, yeah. I need to get to the 65 games, but I'll find other ways. At least put in 20 minutes. At least 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. So that is the topic that we wanted to talk to Vork about. Um, fellow national reporter at The Athletic, thank you for coming on, Vork. Um, good column on the 65-game rule. Um, I, I kind of love this is, is a funny way of putting it, like the classic approach that you took to the topic, which was very much uh, voices from all sides, um, you know, context about where we'd been when it comes to this rule, how it came about. If some, you know, listeners somehow don't know, uh, you know, players this season, of course, have got to play at least 65 games to be eligible for postseason awards. That's become controversial. Joel Embiid was the face of it uh, before he was out for, you know, as long as he's been out now. But what you got into, uh, and I think that kind of, you know, <clears throat> advanced the story and, and you know, shed new light, was a couple of, of specific tidbits, um, you know, reporting on the fact that uh, an anonymous top TV executive, you know, quite some time ago had uh, personally complained to Adam Silver about the load management and the impact that it had on TV ratings. And like, we all know that the business is driving a lot of the motivation from the NBA standpoint. They've admitted that publicly. There's nothing wrong with that, um, but it's always illuminating to hear the behind the scenes stuff. So that was good stuff. Um, but then you know, uh, another thing that got my attention was a union official uh, indicating that they yielded on negotiations about the 65 game policy um, in order to get other concessions, but simultaneously, you know, saw the the rule as an ill-conceived way to attack the problem. Um, so uh, I don't know exactly where you want to start there, but, you know, what did you learn in the process of doing the column and and where do you think this whole situation is going? I guess one of the things I learned was how much the league pushed for it uh, in the last CBA discussions. You know, one person that told me it was like a top two priority for them, aside from the uh, the actual hard apron or what were we calling it the the hard tax, the hard cap. Sorry. Um, so it seemed like second it was their apron? second. Yeah. No. 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 They obviously passed push for a hard cap at first that the union would not ascend to, and that's how we kind of got to the second apron. Uh, no. I. I you know, they really wanted to have something in place where they could get guys onto the floor more. And I feel like, you know, part of the discussion about this has been, hey, you know, might cost Joel Embiid an MVP if he had played like 63 games before he, you know, had surgery, or maybe Tyrese Halliburton might have missed an all NBA. That's kind of like missing the forest for the tree through the trees. Like this is all about the league's economics. It touches like every single part of it. And that's why the NBA was pushing so hard for it. And I think also why the MVPA ultimately agreed to it. It's like, yeah, they got some other stuff, you know, in the CBA and it's hard to tease stuff out from one another because it's like a big convoluted document. So all these things are interrelated, but they get 50% roughly of the basketball revenue that comes in. So a big plush TV deal is pretty good for the players too. No question. And that is the part for me that again, to the defense of the league, they have not, they're not trying to run from the business component here. You know, I, I was on a conference call months ago when when uh, Joe Dumars was talking to a small group of media about this decision and I had asked him about the you know the TV component and that being a driving force and 
to his credit, he said, no, I'm not going to sit here and, and BS you. Like, of course, that's a big deal. Um, the thing that I, I, I wonder where it goes is the way it impacts decisions on the floor. Like you highlighted the fact that Tyrese Halliburton, as he was coming back from his hamstring injury, I didn't actually know this until I read your column that, you know, he, they had load managed him back in because of the injury. And then lo and behold, he played between 20 and 22 minutes in his first four games back to make sure that his 65 game, you know, counter kept going because, uh, you know, you got to play at least 20 to have a game count. That type of stuff, that is a substantive impact on the game. Uh, you know, I wrote a column early in the season about De'Aaron Fox when he turned his ankle, like the idea that a player like that is going to try to maybe come back quicker because that counter is always going for each of these guys who want to be all NBA and then, you know, in the tie into the contract and, and the money and all that stuff. Um, you know, w- w- the, as far as the where is it all going part, um, do you think this thing survives through the CBA? Do you think tweaks are made? Uh, you know, it seemed like there's a lot of chatter about possible change. I, I think, you know, talking to Grant Williams, uh, you know, other players, they like, they want to get this thing changed, right? I, I don't know what the incentive is for the league to change it. Um, it's working out pretty damn well for them at this point, right? All the top players haven't been playing more than they have been last year. And I think maybe you or Joe wrote about it in, uh, in one of your stories from All-Star Game, what the actual numbers are. Um, and for them to be willing to change it, the MBPA would probably have to give them some kind of concession too, right? Like you're essentially doing a side letter to the CBA that's already in place. And so um, I, I don't see why the league would do it aside just from trying to appease players and making sure that you're in a good place with that. But they certainly won't do it until there's a new CBA in place. Like the league seems to be kind of in this stasis um, until the new CBA is in place. I don't know if you heard like Adam Silver was saying, hey, we won't even make tweaks to the in-season tournament until we talk to our future TV partners to figure out what they want that to look like. So I think that's going to hold up business for a while until that all uh, can get done. And so how, how I, close I think the, do we feel like the TV deal? Like, is this something like bust at any moment or so 45 days? We'll take it from here, but 45 day exclusive yeah, negotiating window in March, right? Yeah, it starts March um, 9th, I think, uh, and goes 45 day exclusive window, you know, with Warner Brothers Discovery, which owns, uh, TNT and then Disney, which owns ESPN. But like, let's be serious. It's kind of like tampering before NBA free agency. People have been talking and back channeling. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. um, actually, David Saslov, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, said the other day in an earnings call, yeah, we're already having talks. They're going well. Um, so, <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think that those will be Can the league done by find the summer. itself for tampering. I think that should be a thing. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting, right? Like we're going to come down, we're going to check all of our own cell phones, $10 million <laughs> yeah. out, out of yeah. Silver's pocket. Yeah, yeah. The NBA loses its own second round pick announcer. So like <laughs> it's like Mark Tatum can't do the second Byron round. Iron has to be moved up to the yeah. second round. Okay. Exactly. Fair. Real quick context, Bork, and I keep jumping in on you, but you mentioned the data. Yeah. This is what I was told at All Star Weekend, where it was where I was told in no uncertain terms by, you know, league officials like like we get all the controversy, but this thing is working and that's what they are happy about. There has been since the all-star break, a 25% reduction in star player games missed due to injury this season compared to last an 18% reduction in games missed due to injury among all starters. Um, that, you know, is sign. it's small sample size, but it's in their minds, a sign that it's working and a sign that they're justified and they want to keep forging ahead. Yeah, and I think like I understand that Joel Embiid and Tyrese Albert kind of in the faces of this so far, but if you want to look at big picture, 
I don't even know why the MVPA should try so hard to change the rule. It really affects like one, two, maybe three players every season. And I understand they're big name players, but the impact that it has is pretty small uh, in terms of who would potentially get cu- you know cut out of an all NBA spot or something like that. Um, and on the other hand, like maybe Tyrese Halliburton misses it because he misses a few more games down the line. It might be another player who gets into an all NBA spot and he gets the extra $41 million or something like that. Uh, so I, I don't know if it's necessarily like this big picture issue that they really should fight for, but I, I think I can understand why they're being put in a bad place where you might have to potentially choose between playing hurt uh, and trying to make an all-NBA team, which aside from what's in the contract, you know, they also have shoe contracts, they have bonuses for winning awards and all that stuff like that. So there's a long tail of money that's possibly involved for one or two people. I think the Joel count- thing... And- Fred, sorry, real quick. The, I want your oh, guys' opinion on the Embiid part um, because it's like, yes, high-profile guys. I think Joel is now now him getting hurt for an extended period kind of quieted that conversation. But when I wrote a column the night that the Sixers played at the Warriors and I watched Joel limping around the floor for three quarters before Jonathan Kaminga fell on his leg. And, I mean, listen, I know the league and the Sixers insist that the two injuries had nothing to do with one another. You know, it's it's hard for that to pass the smell test. Um, it, it seemed like he pushed his way back. People with the Sixers felt like he pushed his way back. And and I admittedly that night got in my feelings a little bit about, damn, like this guy who is an all-time great uh, is going to be written out of the history books because of this rule. Like he's never winning anything ever again. So it's not just, I mean, to me, it's really him. It's the idea like, do you care if that this guy is is going to be out? And the answer might be no, you know what I mean? But I think he's he's far and away just the number one guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's fair. It's usually one guy who becomes the face of this thing, and then you have to decide how much that matters. Fred, I had interrupted. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, no, I just, I was curious to know. So when this CBA was negotiated, there was different leadership at the MBPA, right? Like Tamika's out, and Andre Iguodala takes over in the interim, and that's after this is negotiated. And I... I can tell you there was certainly a lot of discontent with this CBA from the players' side, like very shortly after it went through. I think in a lot of ways, the players didn't realize exactly what was going on when it happened. Part of it, for what it's worth, is on the actual players. Like, I will never forget when Pat Beverly, uh, when he was on the Clippers, talked about, he, he was talking publicly, complaining about how the union doesn't communicate with the players. They don't know what's going on. And so I said, okay, let's see who the union rep is for the Clippers. He was on the Clippers at the time. And I was like, let's see who the union rep is on the Clippers. So I go to the MBPA site and I look at who the union rep is. And the union rep for the Clippers is Terrence Mann. This is before Terrence Mann was the starter who they wouldn't trade for James Harden. This is when Terrence Mann was a rookie second round pick. And you look through who the player reps are for teams. And it's a disproportionate amount of whoever the most recent guy drafted was. So it's like the second round pick from the last draft is always the PA, uh, the the PA liaison or or rep or whatever you want to call it. What does a 19 year old know about working in a union? Nothing. It's rookie duty. And that's why this stuff doesn't get communicated. That's why this stuff doesn't go through to the players. And I've always just been frustrated by the way the MBPA and the players make up the MBPA and the way the communication lines work. That being said, Mike, in reporting on this story, have you, have you gotten any sort of vibe on, on how with the leadership change, how priorities might change publicly? Like you say, they don't like, 
you know, the, the PA is, is, is not in love with the 65 game rule. Does the way that they're willing to handle the 65 game rule, does that change now that there's a change in leadership there, or do you see them going about things in, in a different fashion? Well, I think they're the same good to delineate. It's good to delineate like two things. Yeah. Tamika Tramaglio, who was the executive director during negotiations is out. Andre Godala is in as the interim, right? And he's going to decide whether he wants to stay on full time and all that. But the executive committee is still there. Like they're heavily involved in negotiations too, right? Like they were the ones who decided they wanted a leadership change. They were the ones who had to sign off on the deal itself, on the CBA. And so it's not as if, uh, even if you don't want to add a, like, you know, every player in the NBA level, even like 30 team level, there are a lot of players who are involved and had a lot of say in this. Like Jalen Brown was at the negotiating table, right? Like uh, CJ McCollum was at the negotiating table. You know, I asked Jalen Brown at All-Star Weekend, uh, one of the actual questions I could get into a player, whether he had any regrets about this being in the CBA. And he's like, no, no regrets. He would want it to be at 58 games, but he's never regret about it being in the CBA. So I think maybe the players who weren't attuned to the negotiations or what the final deal looks like are not happy with it. Um, that's a separate issue to your point. Maybe there should be some better labor organizing uh, in the NBA and they can deal with that ahead of 2030. Even Tyrese Halliburton, when he was saying that he was playing so he could be on the all NBA team on the JJ Reddick pod, was like, yeah, I don't really pay attention to that stuff. Um, well, you know, what are you signing off for when you sign these CBA? But I, I think well, there will is, be st- That's quick. I mean, that's why you got guys like Paul Reed you know, that night when the Sixers played the Warriors saying, you know, I didn't sign up for this stuff uh, or maybe Kelly Uber, one of those guys. And, and that uh, the communication issues have always been a, a major problem for the union because you have all the power in the executive committee. And then like, if that word to your point, Fred is not getting from the committee to Terrence Mann to Patrick Beverly, like that, that requires Terrence Mann, 19 year old standing up in the locker room in front of the entire group, and, you know, and speaking with some authority about what the union is conveying to him, that doesn't happen. So that's when, you know, on a lot of teams, you have guys who are in the dark. Right. It also happen- requires it also requires Terrence Mann, a 19 year old, to just like know anything about unions yeah. and 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 collective bargaining agreements, which is not a knock on Terrence Mann. It's a knock on 19 year olds, because when I was 19, I certainly was not qualified to be doing anything with a union. Uh, it, 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 it's just the way that it's handled internally, I think, is flawed. Like Patrick Beverly, you want to know more about the union? Well, you're a vet. Volunteer to be your team's union rep. Don't pawn it off on 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 the rookie second round pick who has to do it as part of his rookie duty. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I think the 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 players union could benefit from increased communication. And I think part of the reason why after CBAs are signed, we start to see, oh, this was this was bad. And you see it coming from the players. And in some cases, it's because in a lot of cases, they just like they're not totally sure what they're signing at the time. Or they're not interested during negotiations. Apathy, too. Right. It's not just not being told what's in there, uh, which, you know, they get they send them all out like, you know, top sheets and cover sheets about like what, what's in there and all that stuff. Top line stuff like some players just don't care and they just sign off on it. Right. Like. Keeps the money going. Understandable. Um, so, you know, that's. I think that's a very big thing to figure out. Good stuff, Vork. Appreciate you, man. You came in amidst some chaos. You you steadied the waters. Uh, you know, Fred stayed in line. Fred, I love you. Appreciate you. <laughs> One shot per week. That was fun, though. All right. Man, well, it's not talking yeah, about this yeah. boring labor stuff. <laughs> no, I, I'm a sucker for the union stuff. We don't talk about 
that and not even just the union stuff, but the, the league union relationship, which might not be all that sexy for the listeners, but there really is, you know, a, a, just a massive part of, of what makes the NBA go. So appreciate you being on top of that. Highly recommend if uh, folks didn't read your column to go check it out and we will talk to you soon. Uh, we are going to shift gears here and, and highlight uh, another team that is uh, front and center a lot this season in a very different way than the Timberwolves story that we talked about before. We got Bucks beat writer Eric Name uh, on the program from a lovely uh, Charlotte post shoot around media room. Uh, Eric, we uh, we've been talking about your team all year in in terms of aspirations and expectations that were unmet. And it's funny on this particular episode because we're highlighting teams like the T-Wolves and maybe at the back end, the Thunder, that are all about the the fun that comes with surpassing expectations. Um, I just, I feel like every couple of weeks we got to have you on to do a pulse check on the Bucks. Now it's, It looks like LaMelo Ball is doing a pulse check behind Eric's head. He right is, now. yeah, look at that. LaMelo <laughs> <laughs> is... I like the the backdrop, but it's, it's, uh, it's uh, almost as cool as the parrot with the beer on his... Uh beak that, that I mean ain't. I should be asking you about Jeff Peterson heading the Charlotte front office now uh you know but we'll we'll, we'll hit that on another day uh first of all thank you for joining us brother uh I know you had to wait a little bit while we uh we open things up for you but but how are the bucks that's I'm just gonna throw it in the most general way possible how is the team that you're covering now great uh <laughs> that they think they're great um, like that, I mean, if you're in Charlotte, generally it's, it's a, it's a good, good night. <laughs> yeah, ahead. no, that's fair. Uh, and they just had a good one against Charlotte in Milwaukee. So, um, you know, they've come out of the all-star break. They've won their first three, uh, getting ready to play the Hornets tonight. They go to the Chicago on Friday. So, uh, a back-to-back that potentially they win five straight before they really get into it. Before I come out to visit you guys, uh, next week where the Bucks go Warriors, Lakers, Clippers, Kings, and before that, they have one more at home against the Clippers. So that's like five games where you're actually going to get tested and have tough stuff. But coming out of the All-Star break, the Bucks feel really good about everything that they're kind of doing. You know, you you saw them go three and seven in the first games on in the first ten games under Doc Rivers, and there was you know concern about what are the Bucks doing? Is Doc going to be able to figure this out? And every night, like the players would get done with the game and sure like they might have lost but they'd be like everything makes way more sense like we're way more organized on defense we're getting shots that we like on offense like we still have some things to figure out but everything is trending in the right direction and you know all all I can go off of is kind of what the players say right like obviously you can do your reporting and talk to people but overwhelmingly even behind the scenes everyone's like everything's way better I know we went three and seven, but everything is way better. We're going in the right direction. And now after the all-star break, you've kind of seen some of that come to fruition where they have won three straight. And and I think they're they're really open that they're winning five straight before they go into, you know, that that really tough part of the the Western Conference road trip and that game before before the road trip with the Clippers in Milwaukee. Eric, how was their approach over the break? Like, did they I feel like they're different teams use the break for different things for them. I feel like considering the fact that this is a joke I've made to you 17 times since the start of the season, which is that they use training camp to learn a defensive style that they never played. So they basically just never had training camp. Uh, and then they change coaches. It is, was there at all just like a, let's turn this into training camp 
2.0 in the second half of the season to just get things reorganized? Yeah, I mean, they they made the interesting choice of not flying back to Milwaukee. Uh, their first game was on the road in Minnesota on Friday night. They flew it, had all the players flying to Minneapolis, and they had a practice on Thursday at the University of Minnesota. And like that was, uh, again, we, we talked about multiple training camps throughout the season as they're going through different coaches, and coaching changes and strategy changes from the coach that threw out a defense that he was running in training camp and offensive changes and doing all this stuff. But, you know, Doc Rivers came in and he really focused on the defensive end when he first got to Milwaukee. Uh, the defense had improved in those first 10 games. And then offensively, they kind of lost their way. So, you know, at the University of Minnesota, it was really like Doc Rivers going player to player before this first practice and being like, all right, here's what we expect out of you. This is what we need out of you if we're going to win going forward. Focus on these things. And, you know, going from guy to guy before this practice, doing that, and then really kind of trying to hammer home what they're trying to do offensively, install some new things on that end. And really what they're trying to do is make Damian Lillard even more comfortable, right? And, you know, the it's been a storyline throughout the year, how comfortable Dame is and, you know, what they're trying to do. And the two-man game with him and Giannis, I mean, this is something that I wrote about all the way back uh, when we all, or I guess when Sam and I saw each other at the in-season tournament, right? Like that, that was something that we were talking about then. It's been a continued storyline and they're still trying to figure that out. So uh, yeah, I would say another training camp. Uh, this one largely focused on the offense and making sure everyone had their expectations ready to go for, you know, this final 28 game stretch, I believe it was after the All-Star break. Just because I'm trying to really fire Fred Katz and even Sam up, how would you compare Giannis's MVP case to, I don't know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, perhaps? Like, how would you uh, compare and contract? I personally believe this that is That one's Giannis. fine, by the way. What about, what about Anthony Edwards, though? That one's, that one's <laughs> fine. Sorry, this is, this is an inside joke from earlier in the podcast where these two almost lit each other on fire yelling about Shea that. versus Eric, Anthony can you Edwards. recite Giannis's win shares off the top of your head? <laughs> Sam, Sam, oh, no, said, I can't. Sam said that Anthony Edwards should win three straight MVPs. And oh, yeah, that's wow. what I was fire. like. Yeah, yeah. That's a take. And I was like, no. And said he was significantly better than Shay. And I was like, no. <laughs> I mean, this one thing I appreciate happen. about you guys is not being afraid to throw a take out there. If there's one thing I think about when I think about the Tampering podcast is hot take city. That's that's all you guys do. So uh, I, I appreciate you guys not being afraid. Fred, Fred's kind of like a cockroach on this pod. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, that's oh, that's geez. Thing. All right. All right. Giannis MVP case. That's what I was yeah. really asking about. Um. Truly, I believe this is his most impressive season as an NBA. Ooh, hot take uh, there. There's a take. These are, I like you coming in with the take. I think when you look at what he's been doing, um, before I looked at it uh, coming out of the All-Star break, I believe it's 30 points a night, 11 rebounds a night, uh, six assists a night. He'd be the first person to do that since Oscar Robertson in the season that Oscar averaged a triple. Like that, If you're talking about counting numbers and how impressive they are, you start there. Then I think one thing that's kind of been underrated is just the fact that obviously I've been on this podcast every couple months to inform you guys that, hey, it's kind of messy in Milwaukee. Things aren't going right in Milwaukee. And the thing that had been going right the entire season was Giannis. Giannis was just like, all right, everything's going wrong. I'm just going to go win games. And yes, it was not against the best schedule and all the things that you heard about the Bucks 30 and 13 start not being that impressive before Adrian Griffin got fired. But like 
he just willed them to win. Yeah, it was just him. Unless saying, it was like, Indiana. Everybody but Indiana. Right. <laughs> Except Indiana. But even those nights, 64 points, career high, couple 50-point performances. He tried those nights. He just couldn't get it all the way across the finish line. So to me, this is his most impressive season in the NBA. I think you have all of that. You know, in the one-on-one that I had with him that we ran right out of the All-Star break, like he was talking about the fact that he was more worried about leadership than he's ever been before. He was trying to get everything like organized as a team. Okay, what are we doing on offense? What are we doing on defense? He's talking. He's trying to step up in the void that was created by Adrian Griffin, just not really taking to the job in his first year as an NBA head coach. And because of that, Giannis had to do even more of that. So you're looking at the, to me, like the best like leadership and willing the team to victories. A lot of times under Mike Budenholzer, it was, this is the system. Giannis is going to have a spread out floor. He's the system. He's going to dominate. This all makes sense. Uh, for 43 games, it all did not make sense. What the Bucs were doing offensively didn't make a ton of sense. What the Bucs were doing defensively didn't make a ton of sense. And in the middle of it is Giannis putting together his most impressive offensive season and willing the Bucs to a victory, like night in, night out. So to me, it's it's just been crazy. You look at his rim percentage, uh, it's up next to his first MVP season, like the ability that he's shown, even with all of the mess, even with the spacing not being great, like he's still putting together this this insane season. So to me, uh, this is most impressive season as a pro. I, I think it's it's kind of been somewhat ridiculous to watch him not be a part of the MVP conversation. Uh, like I, I, he's part of it. I mean, he's part of it. He's just down a, a bit. I mean, that's what I was going to ask is like, what do you think it would take for him to, to pull off the surprise finish at the ending here? They, they currently have the seventh best or tied for sixth uh, best record in the league. They could pretty easily get up into not easily, but they can get up into the top four, Boston, Minnesota, Oklahoma city, you know, Denver right now is two games ahead of the Bucs. And I only say that because we all know that team success gets factored in. People like MVPs that come from teams at least near the top of the conference. You know, they, they I think they would need to pass Cleveland and be second in the East behind Boston. They're not going to catch the Celtics. Um, you know, and, and I don't know within all that exactly what the schedule looks like. What do you think he, they would have to do for for him to, to get there? Yeah, I mean, coming out of the break, the Bucs had one of the like the, in the final portion of the season, they have one of the toughest schedules in the NBA. Um, I don't know if they win something like if they go 20 and eight in their final 28 games, get themselves pretty solidly into the second spot. Like I understand that there's more talent around him than the comparison I'm about to make. But to me, this reminds me a lot of Jokic's season two years ago when he won the MVP, when Jamal Murray was out and, you know, it was just kind of messy and they didn't have the best record in the but Jokic had like willed them two victories. Like it was just how good he is and his individual brilliance. Like to me, that reminds me a lot of this season with Giannis. Like everything's kind of a mess. He's just kind I'm of gonna channel that, but... my. I'm going to channel my inner Fred Katz and push back because it's always good for the pod. But I do mean this. Like I would. I, I don't love that comp because the truth is, I think the perception for a lot of voters is going to be that fair or not, Damian Lillard's struggles to get comfortable are f- partly falling at the feet of Giannis because the the Jokic example from a couple of years ago that was enlightening and revealing because you took a guy like Jamal out of the rotation for so long and they still played at a very high level 
Uh, I think this one has got the the reverse optics, which is that he's probably going to pay a price for the the angst around Dame. And bef- real quick, Slater, before you jump in, like, you know, Dame's interview the other day with Chris Mannix at, at SI, I was actually going to lightheartedly ask you about it because as, as a native Milwaukee and like, can you help your guy like figure out how to have some fun in your city? Because <laughs> he's Googling boxing websites and and bored to tears. But like that, those those are tricky optics where that it just feels like the group also, has had a hard time getting Dame comfortable. I think part of that is going to fall on Giannis. Also, it, you know, how much of the Adrian Griffin mess, whatever you want to call it, kind of falls on him too, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, like LeBron has faced this in past years. You know, the Westbrook example is good, right? Where it's like, Oh, well, you know, that, you know, the Westbrook experiments not going that well. It's like, well, like LeBron, you're kind of at fault for, for it not going that well. That's not a bad comp. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, do I think from a perception standpoint, he's ever going to be in this conversation? No, I don't. And I'm saying I think it's ridiculous. Like, I, I think it's ridiculous that he's not going to be able to beat the perception that he's at fault for Damian Lillard not feeling totally comfortable. And he's at fault for his coach being one of the worst in the league uh, for the first 43 games of this. But season. he kind of pushed but, for that coach, though. That that's yeah, where I mean, yeah. I mean, that's totally fine. Like, I, I'm not trying to say that's not what occurred, but I don't know that you can be like, well, he should have known Adrian was going to be one of the worst coaches in the league. You you get to the three finals of a job, you assume these guys are all qualified, right? Like the fact that he picked out one of them is the guy. All of a sudden, he's supposed to. He should have known that Adrian Griffin was not going to be able to handle the job. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's fair. I don't but even. It's, it's, it's going to go along with. It. I'm not trying to say it's it. not going to. We don't like, have to live. I'm just trying to get inside the minds of the voters and. One hundred percent. And the, like, the end, an MVP know. doesn't stand for messiness. And the reality is, like MVPs do not typically get picked from messy situations. Now, to their credit, like you just kind of chronicled. That you're kind of cleaning it up a little bit, and I, and I do. Let me pivot because we, you know, no, I I got one more point. Yes. Um. So the one thing, I, I understand that, right? I heard a lot of that at All Star Weekend, right? Like, well, Giannis is never going to be in the MVP conversation because he's, you know, he's the reason why Adrian Griffin's there. Um, where did it show up in Giannis's play? Like, where where did it show up in Giannis's play? Did did you see him taking nights off? Like, was that a thing that he did? Like I, I know the coach killer thing is gonna go along with him and and, and whatever. That, like that that can be whatever you want to say. But like when it was other stars, you do see stars take nights off and, and you know not do. Giannis did everything in his power to make that work. And I'm I, I don't disagree. This perception is going to stick with him this year, and it's probably gonna take him out of them. Uh, whatever. But like also by and I'm I'm I got one foot on both sides of the fence here. To to jump on your side for a minute. You know, Mike Budenholzer was in trouble for a long time, like a long time. You know, the year they won the championship. Three years? Yeah, we reported that if he didn't, what was it, if he didn't get past the second round or the conference finals, like he was out. And we had very, very solid reporting on that fact. And then it was admittedly kind of hilarious to then watch the championship parades and they, Bud, we love you, Bud. It was like, oh, good Lord. Like y'all had him one foot out the door. Um, So that is fair. And that was not just a Giannis thing. That was an organizational previous ownership thing. perception is reality when it comes to voters and i mean listen we've you and i have discussed the media coverage of your team and how it's it's a small market team that has kind of big market problems um but the truth is that you know people are not on the ground there every day like you are and don't have the nuanced perspective 
that's going to impact voters. Um, so also we're, we're talking about separation points between like a Giannis and a Jokic, a Giannis and a Shea. And if you're looking for a small separation point between trip. absurdly oh, good. Yeah. I mean, MVP I can see, cases. I honestly could see myself voting Giannis, you know, second right now, third. I mean, I, I have yeah. him, his, his season's incredible. Behind I'm, Anthony Edwards. Yes. I mean, and I might have Ant with two slots. Like, I think I might give him until one he ruined All Star weekend. So he took yeah, himself yeah, yeah. out. Sam, Sam, yeah. Yeah, Sam is going. Anthony Edwards won. And then at a protest, he's leaving the rest of his ballot blank. Just I'm going to actually, I'm going to just do like Carl Anthony Towns second and Rudy Gobert third. Wow. Just to kind of skew the vote. Yeah, you know Sam, what I mean? Sam yeah. says it's a significant tick, but the reality is <laughs> it's like one of those ticks from 500 million years ago when the atmosphere was overloaded with oxygen and insects were just like six feet long. It was one of those ticks. Or like Slater ah, said, Northern California thing. hikes. You don't know anything about this. You need to come to our part of the country. But I, I have a Giannis question. You. I have a Giannis question yep, that's related sure. to basketball. Uh, you mentioned Giannis around the rim. He's shooting 82% at the rim this year, but it's not just the efficiency around the rim. He is getting to the rim like never before. And as a result, you're seeing 65% on twos or whatever it is, which is a career high and career high efficiency numbers across the board. And he's still averaging 31 a game. Like you said, more than three quarters of his shots are within 10 feet right now. Career high again. What are you seeing that is allowing him to pull this off to such an extreme because he's taken fewer threes, he's taken fewer mid-range shots, those little pull-ups that we would see and be like, ah, damn, Giannis, yeah. like, just go, just go, just go. And yeah. you're like, I get it. The human body can only take so much, but like, just go. It's so easy for you. He's just doing that every time now, right? So what, yeah, what is allowing him to do it to this degree? So I think over the last five years, he's he's really developed in an insane touch around the rim. Um, you, you go back to that MVP season, I, I'd have to recheck the numbers, but I think 24% of his shot attempts were dunks that year, which is absurd. 24% is an insane amount to be. Uh, so a quarter of his shots were dunks in his first MVP year. And as he told me at the Athletic after the year, like, you know, I gained seven pounds, the floor was spaced, and I was just dunking on MFers. Like, that's that's just what I was doing. I think over the last five years, it's the variety of finishes that he's he's kind of figured out. When he goes left now, he's going to sneak in a right-handed finger roll uh, that you just can't get your hands on. When he goes right, he's going to extend it all the way out and shoot like a little hook shot. Like, everything he does around the rim is just so much more nuanced than it once was that once he gets to those places, you just can't do anything about it. And in the past, it'd be like, okay, well, don't let him get a dunk. Like, make him shoot something else. And now his touch is just insane around the rim that no matter what you do, like he's just going to score at the rim and he's going to shoot 80%. And the only thing you can do is make sure that the wall is built so well, so sturdy, every single possession that he doesn't get to that spot. Sam Amick, did you want to flip the conversation to Doc Rivers? And if we did... I have one. You, Go ahead. You have takes. Um, yeah, I, I want to talk, Doc. Um, because Eric, uh, I, I just, you know, the conversation last week, you know, he was viral for like an entire week and JJ Reddick's going after him. And and I stayed out of it. I will say, like, I just think Doc's been a really interesting guy to cover. I, I covered him beginning of my national days was the Lakers Celtics finals uh, in 2010. 
saw him, you know, still trying to win titles at that point. And then 2008, of course, he he wins it with Boston um, and, you know, covered the Clippers years. Um, wasn't around the Sixers as much, but I just I found the conversation interesting to see a guy like JJ who played for him and had good years under him go after him. I think, you know, we don't need to dive down that rabbit hole. What I'm wondering is that on the beat, on the ground, uh, as that stuff was going on, and apologies if I missed any of this, like, did Doc ever really directly address the conversation that surrounded him? You know, you had his son, Austin Rivers, on ESPN, kind of defending his honor to an extent, and uh, and, and everybody was talking about Doc. Did, did Doc take any of this stuff head on or, or largely stay out of it? I mean, largely stayed out of it. And and I think, you know, this is another thing that you're talking about, like, you know, people don't have the the boots on the ground in Milwaukee. Um, everything that Doc said at All-Star Weekend in the various interviews that he did, he said it as an introductory press conference. He said as he was coaching the Bucks. He said in pregame press conference and postgame press conferences. Like, he already said all of those things to, uh, not to me specifically, but to the group assembled here in Milwaukee. So none of it was like really a surprise. It, and I mean, to me, like the, the big thing is like accountability, right? Like, you, you know, is Doc accountable for his team or just, you know, blaming other people and kind of how it all works. And the thing I kept coming back to, and I, I told you this at All-Star Weekend, Sam, was that like, you know, everyone will say like, Doc should have said this or said that. And I've been looking for the first thing that he said that isn't true. Like, I was on that West Coast road trip. It sucked. They had a back-to-back, took a day off, went on a five-game, 10-day West Coast road trip, took another day off, had two, had a back-to-back, took another day off, and had another back-to-back. So, yeah, that was a bad time to that's join the team and I take mean, over. Like, that's not the I, point. That's I understand point. it's not the point, but it's the truth. Like, the truth is you the truth. You don't have to tell the world the truth all the time. Just do the I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree, but... No, no one said, well, that was false. He was lying. I, no, I, that's, I not, that's not the thing. Hey, can I ask a, a different type of question, Shark sure. Rivers related? I'm just curious. Do you think it is good for, for the Bucks that they now have a personality at head coach? Because, you know, covering Steve Kerr with the Warriors, I think the way he talks and makes news and, and really speaks to different things, like the Warriors, like like Steph Curry loves it. Like but they love that they have a head coach that just like he can – take the attention from over here and over here. And, you know, he'll just, he'll make news. Whereas the Bucks, I know have had Budenholzer, who's, we'll call his personality, what, milk toast or something <laughs> like that. And, and, and Adrian Griffin was not made. He, the only headline he made was, oh, wow, Adrian Griffin got fired. Um, <laughs> do you, like, do you think this is like, is this, it's probably what they wanted, right? It seems like Lillard and Giannis almost want the personality head coach that he is. I mean, I, I think a big thing that, the one, they've never had this before, like you said, right? Like when they've been good, they haven't had a guy like this. So I think they still have to figure some of this out and whether or not they actually like it or don't like it. But I do think one thing that Giannis has kind of appreciated throughout his career is like people that tell it like it is. He he likes that. Like he likes if you don't show up for the last game before you go on the All-Star break that the coach is willing to call it out and be like, yeah, we didn't try it. Half the guys were in Cabo. Like Giannis feels the same way. So he enjoys that. And again, should he say those things? Like, should, should he tell, should he say it like it is and, and make the, the big quote and the quip and say the line and, and do all that stuff? Maybe not, but like they were trying in Memphis. They did lose to a team of G leaguers. And the reason why they did is because the guys weren't there mentally. Like, 
that's that did happen. And again, you can say it's Doc Rivers' fault that his players should have been ready to go. But I think we've all covered the league long enough to know that, yeah, what? It, so what? Doc Rivers yelled at me? Like, whatever. I don't care. Like, I, I got to go to Cabo or wherever I'm going. Like, I, I don't know. It's, so it's it's been weird for me on the ground because I, I he keeps saying stuff that's true. And then people being like, well, he should have said that. And I was like, I mean, we okay, love maybe not. We love guys who are interesting. And in that regard, he's always been fun to cover. Um, sure. I, I do think it was a pretty hilarious, perfect storm of 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 moments. And and just for the sake of like NBA pop culture, I'm going to I'm going to kind of memorialize it here on the pod. I mean, it wasn't just him talking at All-Star Weekend about how he didn't really want to join the team when he joined the team and how hard it was. Then he repeated in an interview to Rachel Nichols that he had two teams contact him before uh, he took the Bucks job, which is such a hilarious tease because people then want to figure out who the teams were. And oh, by the way, it, it also has dangerous optics there because, you know, as we'd reported, he was a consultant <laughs> with the Bucks before. So let's not maybe go down the road of like how coaches really get hired. Like you guys don't want us to talk about that, but now you're kind of alluding to it. But it didn't even come close to stopping there. You had the line about how he told the Clippers that James Harden would be great for them. So he did kind of take credit for the Clippers success. And then, and I admittedly texted a friend and colleague, Tim McMahon of ESPN on this one. I then look at ESPN and there's a story about how he told the Clippers that Shea Gilders Alexander was going to be amazing. He knew. He, so Doc he, knew. He knew about the OKC dynasty. That he is knew coming. he could see it. <laughs> He, he even warned Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> I just I want I want the interview where he talks about all the draft guys that he loved that didn't pan out and the and the X's and O's choices he made that don't work. I think that's where people do grow a little tired of it. Is that you know it's it's highlighting the convenient stuff that makes you look good. Yeah, and, and again, like I I'm not trying to say he's uh, avoiding doing those things. He is doing those things, but. You know, like as he's saying all this stuff about the team and the time that he joined the team, like, yeah, I was on that road trip. It sucked. Like, it was it was not fun. I, I didn't want to be on it. Oh, and just and, like you, he was on commercial flights. He was getting yeah, rental cars. Hundred percent, right. exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. Exactly the the same thing. Me and Doc Rivers going through the same stuff. But uh, no, I, I mean, it, it's just interesting because I, I do think one, like, the headlines and all that stuff, like, have come along with Doc Rivers. Um, but to Slater's point, the only headline that Griff made was he got fired 43 games in. Um, so what the headline probably should have been is, I mean, it was also, you know, Terry Stott's departure. That was kind of a thing. Terry Stott's departure. Uh, the head coach of an NBA team threw out his defensive scheme four games into the season. Yeah. Don't Uh, forget about the mutiny or the Bobby Portis disagreement. Right. Like there's is all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, you know, Doc's making headlines now. The whole season. These, these are No, yeah, like, I like that. It's like, all been headlines. But these like, are what are we talking about? By comparison, 100%. Because guess what? If the, As long as the basketball is good and it's going in the right direction, good job. Best sports in general. Good right? job, yeah. Doc. Correct. All right. In honor of our buddy, I have, Mo Deckfield, I have one. I know. I'm saying I'm setting you up. Promotion. Okay. One, this is going to be interesting. One, one Mo thing, as Mo Dekeel likes to say. This what is this got? is uh, this is gonna be very random. Uh, Eric, name uh, name the city of that you primarily cover. Milwaukee. Sam Amick, name the city you're in. Uh, Sacramento proper. San Francisco okay. would be me and Fred Katz. In New York. 
That would be the career path of Dante DiVincenzo, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> the career path of Dante DiVincenzo. That was really well done. Oh, and now he's going to let me get Here comes the story promotion. Here we go. Exactly. I mean, it, it, one more thing, right? You know. Hold on a minute. Uh, I can't let go of my mic. Can I just give a little applause? That was well done. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, well. Thank, you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. Uh, go. I'm, we don't need to go too deep into sure. it. Fred Katz wrote a brilliant story. Uh, just go if people want. Dante DiVincenzo is third in the league and made threes. I mean, that's kind of yo. He tried seventeen right? threes the other night. Yeah, eighteen Great single game. Like, eighteen. Oh, sorry, eighteen. That's crazy. Don't shortchange him. I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't dream of it. He is having quite the season, and Fred Katz spoke to him, and I spoke to uh, the the man who is apparently, uh, you know, really, you know, I guess propelled this season, which is Steph Curry. So go to the Athletic and read about it if you'd like. I just wanted to say that the Curry the Curry quotes from Slater's part of the interview were so awesome, in my opinion. Like I I asked I asked Slater if he was going to be able to get Curry because because Dante told me all the stuff that he learned from playing with Curry and kind of how he rejiggered his shooting form after playing with Steph to to improve it and look at what it's done and I I, was, I asked him if he thought he'd be able to get Steph he was like yeah for sure so he does the Steph interview and he's like I got him he was good I'll send over the transcript and I was like great so he sends the transcript and it's like Stephen Curry the greatest shooter of all time everyone agrees even Reggie Miller agrees just talking so technically about jump shooting and comparing why why shooting a a three is is fundamentally similar to shooting a bow and arrow and talking about angling and getting so technical and I'm like this I was like, what are you talking about is good? I was like, this is awesome. How cool is this? Hearing this dude talk about talk about this? This is like like those baseball instructional videos that I watched when I was a kid, but if they were done by Stephen Curry, about to win back to well, back, I mean, and these back, are the back AAU national that, championships. Yeah, there you go. Fred McGriff. Yeah. You're uh, saying he's better than Tommy Mansky? Come on. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Steph Curry is a better, better instructor than Tommy Mansky. Okay. He's a tick, these he's are a tick also... behind Tommy Mansky. These are also the conversations that Dante DiVincenzo was allowed to have on like a everyday basis for a season. And I think that's kind of at the heart of, of the story we did. And, you know, it promoted tonight Warriors Knicks TNT. Kind of an interesting, fun game. All right. Well, gentlemen, I got FOMO because I will not be at Warriors Knicks. Uh, Mike Vorkanoff. Well, will you be at Bucks or Bucks Hornets? Hornets. Or or Bucks Bucks Hornets. Hornets. Come on, well, man. Mello looks fired up back there. For I need for a the, game, man. I got nothing one. in town right now. Y'all are out there seeing the action. I got a little dry spell here. Appreciate you, Eric, for coming on. I know you had to chill in the Charlotte media room waiting for us. I uh, hope it was well worth your time. Uh, Eric, Slater, Fred. Fred, I love you so much. Even though, Should even we though name our cities you again? tick me off, hey, yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> wow. I really All right, you. thanks as always. Yes, always, always <laughs> bugged uh, to the loyal listeners. That was a fun pod, a little bit longer than normal, but covered a ton of ground. Thank you to John Krasinski. Thank you to Mike Vorkanoff, super producers, Andrew Schleck, Dave DeFore. We will talk to you next week.